What's up, guys? It's David Hess from the Rising Above podcast. Have you ever thought or dreamed about starting a podcast? Well, look no further. Anchor has all the tools necessary to record a podcast from your computer or phone. You heard that right. They make it so simple. When you host your podcast on Anchor, they will distribute your podcast on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Honestly, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, which is why I host on Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rising Above podcast, a platform for you to share your story. Oftentimes, we all have something that happens to us in life and we have no way of sharing. Many people want an outlet, whether it's writing a book or going on a massive networking platform or starting an inspirational social media account. With the Rising Above platform, anyone with an inspiring, motivating, or interesting story can come on and share. It could be anything from the struggles of starting a business, the struggles of overcoming homelessness or mental illness. I've interviewed victims of rape, sexual assault, and abuse. There is no subject that is off-limits. This platform offers a safe and fun way for you to share your story through a one-on-one experience. If you would like to share your story, the best way to reach out would be through social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook or through email. All the links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Rising Above podcast. I'm David Huss, and uh, today I have an old friend with me. Her name's Alicia Hicks. Um, she is a, um, a victim of, of sexual assault, and uh, so her story may be triggering to some. Um, and if you feel that you, you know, might be triggered by her story, just please turn this off. Um, however, she is a local business owner. She owns beauty and beast hair salon in on the North side of Lansing. Um, so I guess with that, would you mind introducing yourself? Um, are you from the Lansing area? Were you born and raised here? Can you tell me a little bit about your past and whatnot yeah um so i was raised here in lansing um i went away for a little bit to pensacola with my brother at one point and uh, went to north dakota with my ex-husband lived there for five years and then came back to lansing so now i'm back here um i was homeschooled in the homeschool community um that's where i met you yes (laughs) (laughs) a long time ago right uh it's crazy um i have four kids um, they're seven, uh, six, four, and three. So they keep me really busy. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, how long have you, ha- how long have you owned this, this hair salon? Um, so I opened it up January, 2019. So just a little bit over two years. Um, and I also, it's also a jujitsu gym. Uh, so it's, uh, teach women self-defense there as well you, and te- jiu-jitsu. you yeah. teach it yeah wow yeah that's kind of cool to have you kind of have two businesses in one yeah that's where the beauty and beast part comes from beauty for hair beast for the jiu-jitsu <laughs> <laughs> i like that um now let's talk a little bit about your past um you you have a story that you wanted to share um that you feel might might be helpful to some yeah so Um, I was kind of trying to figure out exactly where to start, and it's actually pretty difficult to figure out exactly the right point to start. And I think for most women, it might be best if I start at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, And just kind of debating whether or not to do this because it's not going to make my family too happy, but if it helps some women out there feel not so alone, I think I'm good to share it from the beginning. So. Well, I mean... I doubt you're on here to try to make people look bad right. and it's part of your story and obviously you can share as much or as little as you want, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. So, yeah. So, um, starting at the very beginning, um, the, it's one thing that a lot of women don't realize is that especially when there is childhood trauma, um, it makes it a lot more difficult to like, um, understand things even as you're getting older. Um, and so I think it's important to, um, I don't know, I just, I'll just go ahead and start. So the, um, first incident was with my oldest brother. Um, 
and it was starting when I was really young, but the main time I remember was when I was around five years old. Um, it stopped when I was about six or seven when he finally moved out of the house. Um, so he uh, molested me um, growing up. Um, and I think like from there, a lot of women will be able to relate to this is that when it starts at such a young age, it's so difficult to figure out what's normal and what's not when it comes to relationships in the future. Um, so there was the whole thing with my brother growing up. I never told anybody about it until I was like in my 20s. Wow. Um, my parents did know about it, um, but not a... Happened to him did, when, when they found out? No. I mean, they made him like say you sorry but that was it. I mean, that would be so rough trying to figure out what to do because, I mean, that's both, you're both their children. Yeah. So um, he was 10 years older than, 11 years older than me as well. So he was okay. like 16, 17, so like obviously more than knew better. But I think it started around um, with other people when he was even younger, like 10, 11, and it just didn't stop. But um, I think one of the biggest things for me um, that like, is difficult to deal with is like my parents not doing anything about it like me as a parent I mean I think that I might be being a little bit biased but I can't imagine like my like me as a parent or like not understanding why my dad didn't like kick him out he's like 16 like goodbye mm -hmm. <laughs> um so that was something that was really hard to kind of come to terms with that I've been dealing with as an adult as well um so from there um dealing with things as a young teenager was really difficult um, so the next thing that happened was when I was 13, um, there was a neighbor, um, he was 20, 21 years old, and um, he um, took advantage of me sexually um, on a very regular basis. And I know that some people that haven't been through trauma don't really understand like how someone could take advantage of you more than once, but I mean, I was 13, 21. Mm -hmm. um, so there was that. And then was it was it like a friendship? Was yeah. Yeah. So you guys would be hanging out, and then things would just kind of happen. Yes. Yep. Um, and then, in amongst a lot of those other in that time period, there was a bunch of like littler things that would happen with people I was friends with, or um, the biggest thing is that because it was so normal as a little kid, you didn't know. I didn't know I could say no. And even when I did, I didn't know how to, like, assert myself. Um, and the um, main reason I, like, always want to, like, talk about all of this is because um, it's actually a lot more common than a lot of women know is that um, something will happen when they're an adult and they don't really realize that it actually stemmed back to something that could have happened when they were a kid. Um, so um, the most recent thing that happened to me is when I was 23 um, I was at a friend's party and this was a person that I also knew since I was young they were um, grew up with us with me I don't think you ever met them <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was at a friend's party and um, I was drugged and raped and um, from there my life completely fell apart um, at the time I was married um, my husband was overseas deployed and I just completely fell apart emotionally. Um, one of the harder ones to pick myself up from because it just didn't make sense. Uh, a lot of things from, uh, yeah, I've not openly talked about this <laughs> like this except for with the therapist. So it feels weird. You're, like, you're ah. okay. You're okay. Um, but um, yeah, I think the main thing is that I really want to get out to people and like other women is that, um, it's okay to open up about more, more pe people that have sexual trauma in their life. It's more than likely at least three or four times. Once it's happened once, it's typically a reoccurring thing. And mm -hmm. lots of women don't like to talk about it because it makes them feel, um, bad because they they're always blaming themselves and they're always wondering being like oh I did it. like I got myself into a bad situation so many times it's obviously my fault and it's not 
That's the main message that I want to get out to people. Um, and I can talk any more details that you want. <laughs> well, I mean, and there's a lot of shame that's uh, attached to that. I mean, because a lot of women don't feel comfortable. I mean, a lot of people don't. Like, I was sexually molested when I was a kid as well by, by an uncle. Um, and I haven't, I haven't talked about it. I haven't talked about it on this podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some shame attached to that. And uh, it's not a comfortable thing to talk about. But. No, not at all. Um, I definitely think it's important <laughs> because there's a lot of people out there that feel alone and feel shamed and they deal with it in their own head. And uh, when you're dealing with something in your own head, it's so much more difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Even. So when this happened to you, um, you said you it, it put you into an emotional deep, like deep depression, I would assume. How did you handle that, and what kind of things were you experiencing during that time emotionally, and what were you, what was your thought process? Um, what what and what did you do to change? Yeah, to make to make a change. So, um, the first six months after um, that assault, I was still very 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 triggering to even like just think about the six months (laughs) that happened after that but um I'd say the main thing I was feeling was 100% that it was my fault um I was more or less numb and um I very quickly fell into a very deep state of depression um and a bunch of other things happened within that time period as well where my husband was deployed and I didn't tell anybody about what happened. Did he know about it? He did not until about two or three weeks after. Um, So I ended up confiding in another man um, that I met. He was supposed to just be a friend. And um, through me opening up about that with him, um, I more or less ended up cheating on my husband. with that guy, um, which is not anything I'm proud of. I know that I've gotten forgiveness from my now ex-husband about it, um, and like I've gotten God's forgiveness, and I'm moving forward from it. Thankful for God's grace. <laughs> um, but um, that was a whole other thing that went along with the depression is because even after I ended that with that guy, um, there was a lot of... Uh, feelings of just feeling like I didn't deserve to be loved and so even though my husband understood where I was at when that happened um with the other guy um he so he forgave me but I still didn't feel like I even deserved love at that point and so I pushed him away uh pretty hard (laughs) um and he tried to stick around a little bit he did try um but eventually I was able to push him away pretty dang good and uh so now we are divorced um so in that time period I was dealing with um things with trying to push my ex-husband away trying to get rid of slash cling to the guy who I had first told about what happened and um a lot of emotional stuff having to do with that and the nut I would uh, go to sleep at night and I would have nightmares and be reliving everything that had happened um and I had gotten to the point where I wasn't sleeping at all. So along with depression, sleep deprivation, uh, I think it was around, let's see, it was the middle of October. And I just got, I was just done. Um, I hadn't slept. It was like, the, that was the biggest thing. I feel like if I could have gotten some sleep, I would have been able to deal with a little bit more, but I couldn't mm-hmm. sleep. Um, <laughs> And so I uh, decided that night that I was going to end my life. And I um, had three kids at that point, and I just found out I was pregnant with our fourth. Um, I was a little ways along at that point. But um, I just found out I was pregnant with our youngest, and um, I just didn't want to live anymore. So I got myself a babysitter for that night and uh, put the kids to sleep. And I think it was probably around like 2 a.m. 
Um, it was my, I think it was my little sister. My little sister was the one who came over to watch them. Um, I don't even remember the excuse I made to my sister where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was the last last thing on your mind. Like, what am I going to tell her that's right? Um, that she's going to believe. <laughs> right. So she came over. She watched the kids. And around uh, 2 a.m., I left. I had the kids asleep and uh, kissed them goodnight, what I thought was going to be for the last time. And I thought that me not being in their life was going to be better because I was an emotional disaster. And, um uh, so I drove away and um, made a plan of how I was going to end my life. And I was just riding in the car, um, crying, like, to the point where, like, I couldn't even see street signs. It was extremely unsafe in general, <laughs> just <laughs> driving like that in that state. Um, and I honestly, I don't know if you believe in God, <laughs> but I literally felt God's presence and, like, almost an audible voice that said to me, the sun will rise in the morning. Tomorrow's another day. Don't let this one evening define your life. And then um, I was driving down Saginaw, so I was approximately like three to four minutes from Sparrow Hospital. Okay. So I drove myself to Sparrow, parked my car right in the emergency parking lot, and took myself into Sparrow and uh, admitted myself to the mental hospital. That's intense. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what that feeling would be like, like knowing that this is it, I'm kissing my kids goodnight, and this is the last time. It's still, like, like anytime I think about it, it just <laughs> makes me want to cry, because, like, like, now that I've been through it, I'm like, what in the world was that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just can't, like, the feeling of saying goodbye to my kids and thinking that it was the right thing to do is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. That, like, pe- like, that I could get to that state, and knowing that other people can get to that state is... Uh, is scary yeah now you checked yourself into sparrow what happened then um so from there talked to a couple different counselors um and then i ended up staying i believe it was four nights in st lawrence hospital okay. over there um and then um got scheduled with a therapist for before i could get out of there and uh ever since then i was in counseling um, still, I'm in, still, I'm doing counseling, but after I l- left, the next day was my very first um, appointment with the therapist, and um, it was soon after that that I was introduced to jujitsu. And um, in combination with obviously like that drive and whatever everything that I felt on that drive before I admitted myself to the hospital, that and jujitsu is honestly what helped me. Um, get over, not get over, but um, get through, get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found jujitsu, um, and started training in jujitsu and that along with, uh, the counseling and therapy is, uh, what helped me get through it that time. Wow. That's a crazy, crazy story. Um, now you, you do Gracie jujitsu, yes. right? Yeah. How did you find that? So there at the time there was a, school over on the west side of Lansing called Lansing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and my instructor Max Kuhn um, he taught Gracie Jiu-Jitsu so that's how I got introduced to Jiu-Jitsu and he did Gracie Jiu-Jitsu then from there I uh, started training more and everything and then became obsessed with the Gracies (laughs) (laughs) I just love their like style of Jiu-Jitsu because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different styles of Jiu-Jitsu but the thing I like about like the Gracies is that it's um, it's street jujitsu, mm-hmm. where um, a lot of other jujitsu styles is competition or sports, which is fun. Mm-hmm. But the Gracies is street jujitsu, and it's more life applicable, and it helps you work through trauma. So, I would imagine that doing jujitsu and trying to overcome this trauma probably had a significant effect on your life. Oh yeah. Where you you probably take your aggression, your anger out on the mats. I mean, kind in of, a way, yeah. Kind of like running does for a lot of people, or working out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd say the main thing that jujitsu has helped me with with the trauma is that any not any time, but at the beginning, every single time I would train or roll or spar, is it made me feel triggered but I was able to feel that triggered feeling and know I was in control still. And it taught me how to feel the feeling of being triggered and to work through it 
and that I was doing something good while feeling triggered. So I would know every time I was going to go train, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be triggered. And this is practice for when I feel at other times when I'm not doing jujitsu. Probably ha- probably allows you to have more control over your emotions and everything else as well. Yes, 100%. Um, I mean, still. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Katie. <laughs> is that Ella? She's so cute. <laughs> She'll probably jump up on the table and walk around. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, still to this day, uh, just last week I went and trained. And, like, I, the second I walked into uh, the gym, I was immediately, like, I was like, oh, it's another time I'm going to be super triggered. But because of jujitsu, I'm able to be like, oh, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Like, oh, I'm going to feel triggered, and I'm able to work through it. And that means I'm going to come out stronger, not only in, like, my techniques for jujitsu, but in my uh, – process of working through the trauma now you've been doing jujitsu for how long three four years three year three and a half years yeah how do you feel now going into a jujitsu class compared to the like your first first week first day (laughs) yeah um the first time i went in i i had no idea what to expect at all all i knew is that um one of my friends suggested to me they're like hey you should take some type of like a martial arts or something to get your anger out little did i know that and all i did was google like martial arts in lansing and then i found jujitsu which i'm so thankful (laughs) because there's so many different styles of martial arts and the one that was most effective for what i needed was jujitsu and it just happened upon it um but the first time going in there i had no idea what i was getting myself into um and I was extremely nervous. What are you doing, Oliver? <laughs> this cat does not like me, and I don't know why he's up here. Oh, <laughs> I'm a cat person, so he oh. probably senses it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first time I went in, definitely didn't know I was getting myself into. Was extremely nervous. I wouldn't say I was necess. I don't think I was even to the point where I could acknowledge being triggered yet. Mm-hmm. I just looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I was very triggered and uh, very had high anxiety. Um, I wasn't to the point of understanding that yet, but compared to now, like now when I am teaching a class and I'm able to, I get triggered to a point when I'm teaching, but it's almost like an empowered feeling as well. So like, I know like I'll be teaching women be like, all right, when you're, when we're practicing this technique, there's one that's called managing the distance between um, an aggressive and an opponent. And one of the things that I teach my women to say is when they're within two arms lengths away from you, you say, stop, you're making me uncomfortable, and you put your arms up. And me still teaching that is, uh, is therapeutic for me. It's empowering, but it's also triggering. So it's mm-hmm. really, it's, it's kind of difficult to explain what I feel now. Right. But it's definitely a combination of a lot of things. <laughs> Now, you said you opened up your salon in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was obviously after all of this. Right. That was happened. 2017 when okay. the, the assault happened. So do you think that being at the lowest point in your life to the point where you decided that you were going to take your own life, kind of after you came out of that, that mental state of being, it kind of pushed you into just tr- wanting to be as successful as possible? Yeah. And 100%. as far as like business-wise and... yeah. Um, so I was in cosmetology school at the time when, um, the assault happened when I was 23 and, um, and then I, then I happened upon jujitsu and I was about to graduate cosmetology school and I became obsessed with jujitsu. I was talking to all of my cosmetology, uh, classmates about it, trying to get them to come to class. I'm like, you guys don't understand. (laughs) This is amazing. I probably sounded like I was in a cult, (laughs) the Gracie cult. (laughs) It's a thing. Um, but I became obsessed with it, and uh, then when I was about to graduate, I was talking to my instructor, and I was like, I am just, like, I love jujitsu, but I'm like, I just spent, like, two years in cosmetology school, and I made it through, so I can't not do hair, but I also want to, like, imp- uh, empower other women. I want to give women, other women, what I have, the life I got back because of jujitsu, and I want to offer that to other women. I just wish I could do both, and there, my instructor was like, then do both. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can. That's do a both. good point. <laughs> um, so when I was going through everything between 2017, when I like um, was working on coming out of everything, I went to mental hospital, and that between that point and when I decided to open the business, it was very much a like. I honestly hope that um, 
my uh, attacker sees this podcast somehow <laughs> because I want I want him to know that like he he motivated yeah. you pushed yeah. you he motivated me pushed me he's helped me in I mean I'm actually you know what I don't even want to give him that credit because it, it wasn't him it was it was 100 percent me but I want mm-hmm. him to know that it didn't it didn't end me and um that he's a piece of you know what <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to swear <laughs> you, can, you can say whatever you want to say <laughs> Um, He's a piece of shit. Yes, 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 that. (laughs) I mean, I could use some more explicit words than that to describe him. Kind of going back to to that, was he a friend? Was he somebody that you trusted? I wouldn't necessarily say trusted, per se, because honestly, um, so he grew up like a block away from where I grew up. And we were friends, and then he moved away with his mom probably when I was, like, 16. And then I think we'd seen each other a couple times here and there, but, I mean, I moved away to North Dakota when I was 19, and then I moved back when I started cosmetology school. Um, So I had only seen him probably, like, three times since I'd been back. Wow. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily say trusted, per se, but yeah. So did he explain to you why he did it? Did he, he didn't talk to you at all about it? No, no. Um, So. Did he get into any trouble? That's a whole nother story. No. Um, I I did end up finding, filing a police report eventually. One of my um, very good friends made me do it. Um, And that's another thing that comes back to when you're dealing with trauma and because I hadn't worked through it emotionally yet even when I filed the police report I I lied about things on it that made it like because I was like oh like I was in this I was here at this point and that makes that makes me like that's something I blamed myself for so I didn't want to admit it Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so I mean I filed the police report um and he did end up like uh getting questioned by detectives and everything and um basically it was a he said she said thing um eventually i've been meaning to do this for a while but i need to go revise my statement just for my own my own uh my own reasons i guess you'd say to Mm -hmm. be like oh yeah like because nothing i i didn't necessarily lie about anything in the my statement I just there's things that you left out yeah there's things that I left out because I thought I was like oh that's my fault because oh I took the drink from him that's my fault mm. um so what was the question uh, my question was um did did he get into le- any oh. legal trouble so yeah he didn't um, did he talk to you about anything he no so well there was a little bit of conversation back and forth uh via Facebook um of him like calling me a psychopath and um, you didn't admit to anything no he told the police and he told me that it was consensual and he actually had a girlfriend um this is just there's just so many crazy things that happened in that scenario it's just like uh, it's just stupid because his girlfriend came by as i was unconscious still and she says that I was in her statement to the police was that um, I was completely coherent and awake and I I, like I have these small visions of like where I would be able to like wake up and see and like I remember this one time where she was like checking my pulse and then they were trying to feed uh, they were both trying to feed me and I believe that he had told her maybe that like I drank too much or something Mm -hmm. um and but no she like 100 percent saw me unconscious and straight up lied in the police report that she saw me completely coherent um so i actually couldn't like i ended up stumbling my way out of his house and um literally stumbling like hitting on the walls and i only had half of a drink so it's not like i was intoxicated by any means (laughs) um uh and stumbling out of the house and I could, I made it about a block and a half away and I called the police because I was like I'm not a safe driver right now I know I can't drive and I at that point I didn't understand um 100% why I was the way I was I didn't I didn't know that you exactly, were drugged right I just didn't understand 
um, they were smoking marijuana. I had never really been around marijuana before. So like there was the thought in my head, I was like, oh, maybe I got a contact high and I'm like really, mm-hmm. really freaking high right now. A <laughs> 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 uh, little bit I know that's not how it works. <laughs> um, so I like told the police that it's just so stupid looking back at it, but it's also something I think I need to talk about because for other women, you're going to feel like there's things that um, you're, women lie about the exactly what happened. So I told the police that I was like, oh yeah, I like, I, I like smoked like four joints and oh, I had geez. like six drinks and so I'm not able to drive. So they ended up taking me to the hospital and then I ended up having my little, while I was sitting in the waiting room, um, my little sister just came and picked me up and I just bolted. But looking back at it, if I would have gone in, they would have tested your they blood. Would have, they would have tested everything and mm-hmm. found the roofies. Mm-hmm. So, so that's still another thing that's extremely ma- maddening to me. As I'm like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have called my little sister and had her come pick me up. But so were you? I don't want to get like too personal or anything. Oh, get as personal as you would like. But do you do you recall it happening? Him him forcing his way upon you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. So there's like. So There's, in this in the moment you knew what was happening, but you couldn't. You're so inco- incoherent, right. you couldn't really do anything about it. So my um, the only way I can fully explain it is it's like, like I would be, um, like I remember like falling back onto the bed, just feeling like extremely tired. I was like, oh my gosh, why am I so tired? And I remember just falling back, and then like only way other way I can explain after that is it was like. I'd like come to and like see what was going on and then like just go back to sleep and then like and then I would like want to move my body but my body wouldn't move um which is obviously still a very terrifying thing when it comes into jujitsu and like if someone has me pinned mm-hmm. in a position and I can't move it 100% sends me back to where like I want to move and I'm trying to move but I can't mm-hmm. um so it was a lot it was, in reality it was about a, it lasted about two hours ish um and so there's a lot of like the only thing i can call is like snippets where i would like wake up and Mm -hmm. like kind of be a little bit coherent and then go back unconscious and times where i remember one time um that i was actually crying for my husband um i was telling i said i just want will i just want will um and then i remember and then i just passed back out um so yeah, so I, there was definitely things that I remembered from it, and I did not go into that much detail in my police report. Um, but I think I've like gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, I need to go revise that and give every freaking detail. I don't think anything will come of it from me changing my statement, but yeah, because they probably weren't able to get much evidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, that's a that's a huge problem with people who you know have been raped or whatever. Women feel ashamed of it, yeah, so they don't go right away and and talk to the police or go to or go to the hospital then you know they can't get the the evidence that they need yeah and then it's too late and there's also other things that's unfortunate about just that system in general um honestly even if they do go and get a sane a sane kit um at the hospital i have known many women who actually have been strong enough to go in immediately and get the sane kit done um and even um at that point there's a lot of things just just messed up with how that system goes and uh there's just so many things that's frustrating about things that need to be fixed for women that are survivors um and one thing that like i've been really really wanting to reiterate to women is that like you're gonna it's so hard to like actually help them understand in the moment but like just be honest about everything because one thing is like it doesn't matter if you took the drink it doesn't matter if you were there when you when you maybe think you shouldn't have been like one thing I blame myself for I'm like oh I was at a friend's party at the time like everybody in my circle didn't believe drinking was right Mm -hmm. so I was like oh I was there and there was alcohol and I took a drink and I was with other guys when I married I mean there was Mm -hmm. other there was other girls there too but I was like oh I was with other guys when I was married it's my fault so I felt like there was things that I had to lie about um, and were, that's good. Were, was there other people there when this was happening? Um, there they... were his, his, right before I went unconscious the first time, his friend was there. Um, nobody tried stopping it? No. Um, he just, like, saw what was going on and then just walked out. Wow. His friends are losers. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the type of people that, yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, one of the main things is is that it's hard to re- to iterate to women is like just just don't lie because even as guilty as you feel and as shameful as you feel in the moment you're going to regret it years from now. Like I know I do. I hard regret it because I this guy also I'd found out um actually ended up assaulting his girlfriend. Um, and I'm like, man, if I would have actually filed an actual, uh, completely true statement of what happened, there's no way they wouldn't have uh, arrested him. Mm-hmm. And he, w- I mean, at least I believe that's what I believe in my head. And then especially with what happened with his girlfriend, um, like he had to go to like domestic violence cou- uh, uh, counseling or whatnot. Okay. Um, and I just feel like I'm like, oh, if I if I'd actually filed something accurately and I didn't want to press charges. That's another thing that police don't like. I was like, oh, I'm just filing the police report just because my friend is making me. And they're like, well, do you want to press charges? And I was like, no, no, I don't want to, which is another big thing that that'll make the police be like, oh, well, if she's not going to press charges, that means she won't testify. So mm-hmm. might as well just throw it out. So what do you think is flawed about that system? Somebody who was raped? I mean, because obviously you're you're trying to deal with the emotion, the emotions of it all, um, the trauma. Do you think that there should be maybe like some sort of counselor there to help talk you through it and 100%. make you a lot like help you make better decisions as far as like answering these questions that the police are asking you that is actually something that i am looking into doing myself is i want to i think there should be a person who has more than likely experienced trauma themselves to help these people the women better understand where i could come in there or the like the other counselor can come in there and be like all right i know everything i like everything you've gone through is traumatic um one of the things that's very common when people have been through something that you've been through is that you're going to um, feel guilty for certain things so you're not going to want to be fully honest and you're going to want to and lie is the wrong I keep on using the word lie but it's not even lying it's just uh, leaving out the full truth yeah, yeah. and um, you're going to women need to know like you're going to feel this way but in like a year or two from now when you've worked through it you're going to you're going to regret it and you just need to I feel like these women, before they give a statement, before they're allowed to give a statement, before anything like that, they should talk to a counselor. Because it's obvious they probably haven't gone to any therapy or counseling yet. And it's a very traumatic thing to try to work through. And then you give a statement. Like, it's just it's doesn't, it doesn't kinda, make sense. It's kind of putting you back in the same spot. Yeah. Would, yeah. And, it's, and people know that, too, that it's like they're reliving their trauma as they're telling you this. And there needs to be a counselor there beforehand to help you understand so that way there can be a more accurate police report and women better understand exactly what it is that they're doing when they're filing that police report and helping women there should be like a someone there probably the same person that is like all right you know you're not going to want to press charges because typically women don't um but kind of help them work through that and like obviously if some women still don't want to but i still think it needs to be talked about with obviously i'm not a counselor or therapist yet but <laughs> yet <laughs> i'm right that's eventual <laughs> um but it's definitely something that's flawed in the system for sure um how do you think something like that can be implemented and you said you were working on something so yeah i wouldn't necessarily say i'm working on it because I have so many other things going on in my life (laughs) not at all (laughs) but it is something that crossed my mind for the first time I think probably like about three months ago and I was like you know if I would have had someone there that told me the way that I was going to be feeling Mm -hmm. and I would have heard that I would have been honest and been like yeah no I only had a drink half a drink and I didn't smoke any of the marijuana it was just there and the cops would have been able to put together that oh Something. Like she was very obviously drugged, but because I didn't understand what was happening to me, I was like, "Oh, I like I'm feeling this certain way, and I know I can't drive, but I don't know why, so I'm just gonna lie to make it make sense." Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, and so that when I was realizing, I was like, "I would have had someone there when I was filing my police report, helping me understand things." Um, I don't know 100% if it would have changed, but in my head, I'm like, oh, like I, I didn't know what I was going through. Right. Um, so I don't necessarily know the way that that could be implemented yet. I know that when women go to the hospital and before they do the SANE kit, there is a person on call for that 
forget, I think it's called the sane nurse. Okay. Um, and so they're called up to sit with you, but they don't really talk you through anything. So I almost think it could be the same kind of idea as what they do at the hospital before this, you get the sane kit done, is that if there's a, a woman who comes in to file a sexual assault charge, that in the same manner that the sane nurse is called a like counselor, mm-hmm. trauma-informed counselor, um, can show up and talk them with them first. It's kind of the right. what was going through my. I don't really know how to implement it yet. It's just kind of like a fresh thought from a couple months ago. Yeah, I don't know how you would implement that. You'd kind of have to like propose it to like police departments right. because they would have to hire somebody, and it, I'm sure it'd be like a whole budget thing. And well, I bet you. So from like, problem. I know that. So like, there's Eves. Do you, do you know what Eve? Eve? Eves? I don't know if there's an S on the end. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, no idea what Eves or e- Eve is. Eves, it's a counseling service for um, like trauma survivors or domestic abuse survivors and stuff like that. And so okay. that um, was a counselor that I went to at one point. And um, there's people that volunteer to like um, help be a counselor through um, like tr- uh, trials and stuff. So I almost bet you like those same people that are counselors for um, survivors for going through the the therapy and counseling before Mm -hmm. going to trial or working through domestic stuff, um, that those same people could probably be the people that respond to the police department. Right. But I don't really know. So maybe it's Eve's that I go through first to try to implement that. But I definitely think something needs to be done because I, especially with teaching women's self-defense and jujitsu, and any other woman who sits in my chair and anybody who's gotten their hair done knows they open up to their hairstylist more than they do their counselor. <laughs> I know you, you had told me through Messenger that um, by having people come in and get their hair done, there has been a lot of women who've opened up and yeah. shared their stories. And, and that surprisingly, there's been a, lo- a lot of people, right? Yes, yep. Do you try to get them to come to jujitsu? How does all that tie together? Yeah, so that was actually the first reason that I wanted, I was like, oh, like I need to do jujitsu because I, even just at Douglas J, the Veda Institute, when I was there going through school, there was women who sat in my chair at school and like they talked to you about the craziest things. And then like, I'm like, oh, they're like a survivor of this. And like, I know this and I have so much I want to offer them. Um, so even from the very beginning, women open up about stuff. And so from there, now I'm able to actually offer. And like sometimes right there, even in the salon area, um, it's also one-on-one. So I Hmm. don't, I only have one chair in my studio. Okay. Um, and sometimes right there I'll be like, all right, so go ahead and stand up. Um, let's just do some stand up techniques. Like how are you going to get out that one of the main ones that's really empowering for women is, uh, um, it's called the inverted wrist releases where it's usually a form of control that men will do um, is like when a girl like say a guy's coming at you and you put your arms like like this they'll grab you and so right. I'll be like I teach them how to get out of that I teach them how to get off like a drag wrist release I teach them how to just even get up properly from a fight is extremely also important so just um, sometimes right when they get out of my chair I'll kind of show them a little bit of the techniques and help them get like a taste for it mm-hmm. and then um, you either take them right upstairs depending on my schedule or um, schedule them for their first jiu-jitsu class Wow um, now have you found that this helps a lot of women I know you said it helped you tremendously uh, being able to take your aggression and anger yeah all that out on the mat um, has anybody that you've you've taught that came to came to you to get their hair done have they had any significant benefits from this yep um i have especially one in particular um who actually opened up to me very 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 quickly um and it was very close to the same situation as me where it like started as a kid and just kind of perpetuating itself um and there's been many many women who have uh benefited from jujitsu and um being able to have someone to talk to that like understands Mm -hmm. um now kind of going forward where do you see yourself in in the next few years with jujitsu and your salon um do you see yourself growing this oh yeah do you do you (laughs) teach anybody else but women yes yes i teach men and women um so there's nights where we do just women's class just women's self-defense class okay um but then there's um other evenings and mornings where we teach the Gracie's combative system. Um, So I teach men and women. Typically, um, a lot of my 
clientele is like uh, couples. Um, so that's a really fun thing for people to do. Um, sometimes when women are trying to get into jujitsu, it's more difficult because um, if you're going to a place like there's a couple places around Lansing and it's very dude oriented. Mm-hmm. And like, of course, dudes love jujitsu and dudes love <laughs> wrestling. Right. But it's hard to get even a dude who wants to do jujitsu. It's hard for him to get his girl to come in. Whereas at my place, it's like I get the girl in the door and then the co- their partner is like, oh, like, I want to do that, too. Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want my girl to kick my ass. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I got to go, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'd say it's mainly women. I also um, am working on putting together it's called the Bully Proof program for kids okay um teaching kids how to um uh control a bullying situation without becoming a bully um which i think is extremely important to teach children extremely important especially these days where kids are being bullied and and they can't really defend themselves Mm -hmm. because they'll get kicked out of school exactly (laughs) um so like at my kids school they know that my kids do jujitsu and so Um, They know that they can control situations without hurting. And so my seven-year-old, she she was in after-school care with my six-year-old, and he was just – he's a boy. He's six, you know, just being a little turd. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the teacher who was there in charge of them was like – Michael, I think he was, like, running away. And she was like, Kelly, go use jujitsu and control your brother. And like she knew that he wouldn't get hurt. So right, that's that's, that's one of the most awesome things I love about like bullyproof for children is that like they can control situations without hurting their mm-hmm. friend or other bully or someone like that. And also um, just know that they're like they're just doing a good thing. Uh, yeah. Um. Kids learn, learning some sort of martial arts is good because it teaches them confidence as well. They don't feel like they're not superior to other people, right. you know, so. And jujitsu is literally was derived and like made for people to go against people who are bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. So it that's another thing because usually bullies or um, uh, um attackers are usually going for a smaller weaker person right um so normally when you're going when you're learning that's why i love jujitsu is because you're able to defend yourself against a stronger bigger person so that's mm-hmm. especially for the bullies um they're usually bigger how many uh instructors do you have is it just you it's just me right just now um, my instructor from my original instructor he um, lives in kalamazoo so he has come in a couple times um, I'm also friends with a black belt over, um, he t- also teaches at Magic in Frandor. Oh, okay. Um, so he come, he's come over a couple times and taught classes, but mainly, it is mainly me right now. Okay. And how many people do you average in a class? Um, so depending on the class, so like the women's self-defense class, we've had all the way up to 15. Wow. Um, and then in the combatives, I think our biggest for the combatives class has been like, 12. Okay. Well, that's a pretty decent sized class. Yeah. Yep. And we're getting, we're getting there. And then the bully proof program, I already have, um, five families signed up for it. All have three or more kids. Wow. So I also just, um, got asked to come teach at it's, uh, it's all co- homeschool co-op actually, um, in Owasso where they have anywhere from 85 to a hundred kids wow. and they want me to come in every Friday from 10 to two and teach like, I'll teach one age group from like 10 to 10 30 and then another age group all from like 10 to 2 so wow yeah yeah you getting are the busy. word out there you are busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> um now i had a question i don't remember what it was no um you just asked about class sizes was it building on that yeah i think i think it was i have <laughs> just it just kind of dissipated it's gone now <laughs> do you have any questions for her or anything no. no, I was wondering about kids. So, yeah. Well, oh yeah, that, that's what it was. Um, your age, age groups. What's the age groups um, for kids? So, I mean, the Gracies started kids straight out of the womb, basically. So, um, but <laughs> for actual classes in class, I'd usually say any um, about three. Oh wow. But I mean, like my kids, I'll te- I teach them stuff at home, like yeah. starting as early as they c- before they can even stand up, because actually, there's this one like how you're supposed to get up effectively kids do it correctly mm-hmm. they'll have they have what's called base before they stand up they always have two points of contact while they're learning to like stand up onto their feet right right so in the gracie how 
household, they would always, the second that this the kid is trying to stand up, if they started getting up where they were having more than two points of contact, they'd actually push them down. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can start teaching your kids jiu-jitsu as soon as you want. But as for coming into the studio, usually around three to 96 years old, 100 years old, however old That's you want awesome. to be. That's yeah. awesome. See, my issue is because I want to get my kids into martial arts as well, but the problem is with a lot of gyms around here, is that your kids have to be a certain age, like six, six or seven. Right. And so I haven't bothered. It needs to getting... start before that. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially because uh, kids start early. They start mm-hmm. school early. Like my daughter's in school and she yeah. you know, is not able to attend a, a martial arts right. program. So. Yep. So um, if somebody wants to come find your gym or get their hair done, where can they find you? Um, I mean, they can message me on Facebook. Um, Beauty and Beast Salon, I think is what the actual name is underneath it on the how you can like search it on facebook um or mean are you like i'm not sure i usually just do text or phone calls honestly so i don't know if you want to drop my phone number right, that's up to you. that's totally up to you <laughs> you might end up changing it after this right <laughs> <laughs> um but i think facebook or instagram is the most effective way okay. to get yeah, a let's hold just, of me let's just stick with that yeah um and where is it located if somebody wants to come to a class? Yeah, it's right across the street from the Lansing Airport. Um, it's a big brick building with a red tin roof. What's the so. name of the jujitsu gym? Beauty and Beast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So downstairs is a salon. Upstairs mm-hmm. is the gym. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share before we go? Hmm. I mean, we can sit here as long as we want. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I can really think of. No. I know. Um. I had mentioned earlier that I, I've known you for a long time, but um, yeah. uh, where I met Alicia was at uh, when I was homeschooled. I was part of uh, a thing called HSMA, and uh, it was a. I was in a band. Were you in band or were I you in orchestra. orchestra? You were yeah. in orchestra. What did you play? Violin. Violin. Okay, yeah. and that's how you met my brother. Yes. <laughs> uh, also named William. <laughs> right. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> that name, William. <laughs> um, at least he's a goodwill, though. I mean, last I checked. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I've known her for a while. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, listening to your your, – I think it was probably one of your first podcasts. I was listening to it last week, and I was like – Which one did you listen to? uh, The one where it's just you talking, the one about your – my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's just personally astounding to me because I'm like, I knew you. Yeah. During that time. And nobody knew. Nobody, nobody knows. I, I'm like, I was sitting there like, I'm just like, what in the, what? <laughs> like. <laughs> what was crazy about that time too is the time where like I met you, I was homeschooled and a lot of the things that happened like in, in the home that I grew up in was happening at that time. Yeah. And uh, I just, I just didn't talk about it because like going to HSMA was like kind of a, a relief from, yeah. from the home. And I remember, cause like you were talking um, I was also about kind of like, a, I was also kind of a wild child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily remember that, but um, I, re- I remember like I'd be on the phone with Will and like, I remember like he just have to like randomly hang up. He's like, all right, I gotta go. Bye. And like, um, and then there was a couple times where he would like, kind of say something that had happened it's like oh there's just like a bunch of drama going on in my house and like to hear like to remember that from when will and i would talk on the phone and then like hearing what you would say i'm like holy crap like just like people don't even know what's going like i always thought you guys were like this amazing like (laughs) super happy good family and i did not and then like vice versa like i'm sure that nobody else knew like what was going on with my brother Mm -hmm. i like it was actually when i was uh dating i don't even know if you can call it dating well <laughs> we saw each other once a week at hsma <laughs> um but like that's sorry will <laughs> right <laughs> um i mean he was my first boyfriend if you i was like i always joke about it. i'm like oh like we were boyfriend and girlfriend which at that time meant we see each other once a week and like make eye babies across the room from each other <laughs> eye babies oh my gosh <laughs> but um uh when I, that was actually the assault when I, not, uh, while I was with Will was when the assault happened with my neighbor. Oh. So it's like, and then he had no, he had no clue. And it's just crazy how like they're like people keep stuff to themselves and you don't mm-hmm. even, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. It's. Well, yeah. and then another, another issue is like you had mentioned, you know, like you didn't know about the things that were happening like to us. And yeah. obviously William didn't know about things that were happening to you. The problem is, is like the people that you should trust and to trust with these issues and you should be able to, you know, t- 
tell, they don't necessarily handle the situation properly, and they also right. don't report it to the people that need to know mm-hmm. that will make a uh, make something happen. Yeah. You know, like which is infuriating re- to me about like your situation with like uh, was it did CPS ac- you said CPS did come in like once or twice, right? CPS came in a lot. Yeah, uh, there were so many accusations that CPS would come to in- investigate, but the thing is, is because they were. Um, a foster family, an open foster home, um, they they would be kind of, they, well, for one, they would call. They would be like, okay, we're on our way, uh, or we're coming out this day. They would schedule a time, hey, we're coming out this day um, to question you about this this allegation that was And reported. then they can prep you, right. and your family's prepping you, and be and like, oh, you better not. They'd be like, you need, you need to say this happened, because right. if you don't, then you're going to be taken away. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be left, and your brother's going to be left here by himself, and yeah. like so, it, it was almost kind of like a guilt trip type thing. Yeah, that's so it's just that that whole system is messed up too. And like I've always heard stories about it, but listening to your story, it's just like there's just so many things that need to be fixed in this world. <laughs> there's that's one thing by doing this podcast. There's so many there's so many things like in all systems that are that need to be like revamped and mm-hmm. everybody talks about I mean you're the first person I've had on that was raped and obviously there are things that could be changed in that system um, for me you know it's like the foster care system there's so many things that could be changed right that are just messed up um, yeah there's just there's so many things that that need to be fixed yes yes there is <laughs> and not enough resources and not enough people talking about it no there's not enough people talking about anything that's like well the people talk about what things that go wrong in the world but not things that actually matter <laughs> right exactly and and fixing you know these these issues that you know like with the foster care system or with like rape victims or even like addicts and in the way that you know they're treated and um the like uh like them going to rehab and whatnot like that whole system Fixing those things would help our community so much, not just our community, but every community, yeah. you know, because if, if things were implemented in our community, then it would possibly have an effect on surrounding communities and just make a, a better world for for everybody. No, yeah, 100%. There's a, yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess wrapping this up, because I think we're like an hour in, we're, we're almost an hour in, um, would there be any advice you would you would want to offer to other women who have gone through the same thing or maybe even not maybe they weren't raped or maybe they were in a situation that was very uncomfortable is there any advice you would want to give to them i mean there's only so much you can say to someone through like this type of uh um, what's the word i'm looking for like saying it through like a video isn't as effective as like actually sitting there talking one-on-one but i think Mm -hmm. the main thing i can say oh man that's a really good question well i think (laughs) i think you sharing your story and victims sharing their story is very empower empowering because then it allows like if you heard somebody's story about them being raped and you see how they've taken their life from that point on and and turned it into something positive like you were at the point where you wanted to commit suicide mm-hmm. that's probably one of the lowest points in your life you could possibly be yeah but then you completely took that and you flipped it around you started a business you finished cosmetology school you you teach jujitsu <laughs> i mean and you're you're still killing it like you're you're going to be teaching kids and you right. know you're doing great things thank you <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome um, i think that the main thing is is like um realizing that well i guess like for women like every single woman in the world i think should be doing jiu-jitsu and i think that one thing that women need to know about it is it's not necessarily like you're trying to kill someone all the time the thing that i love about gracie jiu-jitsu especially is it's extremely scalable so you learn how to set verbal boundaries um and then because you know like if you're at like a family reunion and like your uncle is just being inappropriate towards you, you don't necessarily want to gouge his eyes out or rip his arm off, right? <laughs> Not necessarily. Right. <laughs> um, so we teach like basic techniques from just asserting verbal boundaries to um, non like uh, harmful uh, techniques, controlling a situation and then all the way to deadly force for like worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I guess the main thing I want women to know is like get into jujitsu know that it's so much more than just rolling around on a mat learning how to choke people and rip their arms off it's like it's it's that's the therapeutic therapeutic right. side that's of the it. more therapeutic side <laughs> of it but if you know the techniques that it takes to 
just be at like a gas station and someone's walking up to you and you're able to say stop you're making me uncomfortable you like just that scenario alone you now know if they keep walking towards you you know what you're getting into well it kind of puts you in a con- in control of the situation right as well. and if they are a good person and they didn't have bad intentions then they're gonna be like whoa mm-hmm. and you immediately know and just being able to get yourself to the point where you feel comfortable enough to be able to say that to someone mm-hmm. um is uh i think actually one of my most favorite parts of jujitsu i mean choking people is pretty fun too but <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think that's the main thing is uh, just know it's not all like her. <laughs> so, uh, there's much more to it. Okay. Um, so is that it? Is that? I think so. All right. Well, I guess we'll kind of end it there. This was a really good podcast. I enjoyed sitting here and talking with you. Yeah, uh, you as well. It's been nice catching <laughs> up. And I mean, you've had some terrible things happen since the last time I've seen you. Uh, but, like a decade But it, <laughs> it's transformed your life and, yeah. and I think made you a better person in the end oh thank you i appreciate to, the same to you thanks <laughs> and to the guy who to the guys that uh that uh did this stuff to you fuck them they're, they're pieces of shit <laughs> <laughs> all right it's been nice yeah thanks david yep